Welcome back to the Asian Glow Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Park. My identity has been something I've been struggling with my entire life. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood in the deep south. I'm sure you can imagine what that was like. And while I've tried to navigate the complexities of being Asian American as a child, I didn't really accept my own heritage until I was probably 22. On today's episode, I chat with Nui Nguyen about our Asian American identity and the journey it took for us to learn how to embrace our cultures. Nui is from Kansas City, Missouri, and we actually met in college. We were roommates for two years, and she's one of the best people I know. Nui, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Do you remember how we met? Um, it was actually through AAA. And the funny thing too is like, I didn't even want to do AAA. I only did it because of Brie. Because like Brie had like this whole thing with like loving like K-pop and stuff. She's like, no, <laughs> no. So then that's the only reason why I went. And Brie's not even Asian. <laughs> yeah, she's not. But wow, I didn't actually know that's why you joined AAA. AAA is the Asian American Association at our university, by the way. But we had a lot of fun, right? Remember our Hello Kitty Playhouse? Yes, I do. I remember that. That was the name of our Wi-Fi network in our apartment, BT-dub. But you know, our place was also a farmhouse because me, you, plus our other roommate, we all had dogs. We had three dogs. It really was. It's funny, too. It's because, like, they're all puppies, so our house just smelled so bad. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Never a dull moment. Okay, so I'm curious. Growing up as a first-generation Korean-American definitely had its challenges for me, especially living in the South. You're also first-generation Vietnamese-American, and I imagine Missouri was not that different from Georgia. What was it like growing up in Kansas City? So, like, I, in elementary school, I grew up in a little bit more mixed culture. We were more, like, low-income, so I had a little bit more diversity, but then the older I got... I started going like in middle school and high school is when I started moving more up north, which was more predominantly white. So I don't know. I feel like in middle school, it was like still that really awkward phase where you were still trying to figure yourself out. I don't think it was really that bad until high school because I remember people always, I don't know, making fun of me like calling me chink and stuff in school. Sorry, I'm already getting emotional about it. The trauma. Oh, Nui. But like, I don't know. It just kind of made me, I don't know. It didn't really start happening until like high school or like I didn't start caring as much until high school because in middle school, I was still like in Sunday school, which whenever I was going to church and stuff, it was like a Vietnamese church. So like I still had like Asian friends, but then like once I didn't have Sunday school anymore, I didn't really hang out with as many Asian people anymore. So then in high school, that's when I kind of felt like I started to lose my Asian identity a little bit. Yeah. Because I always got picked on for who I was. Mm, Thank you for being so vulnerable, Nui. I have so much empathy because I'm with you on the trauma. I still carry a lot of anger from the bullying I experienced in middle school. And I never really had an outlet or friends who could relate. So thank you again for sharing your story. I remember I carried that anger with me as a child and I would do whatever I could to stop the development of my Korean identity. My mom used to put my sisters and I in Korean school so that we could practice and learn our native language. But I was such a rebellious kid and I would always try to avoid going because I was ashamed to be different. 
And in middle school, I was such an easy target too, because not only was I Asian, but I was a chubby ass Asian and I had braces and round Harry Potter glasses. I still can remember every single kid's name who would tease and bully me and make me feel so small and insignificant. I too was called chink and the fucking chin chongs were yelled at me. And I cannot tell you how many times I've heard a white person tell me, go back to where you came from. And I even remember doing ridiculous things like stuffing my bra because that's when all the other white girls were hitting puberty and developing boobs and I would get made fun of for having smaller body parts. I mean, I'm almost 30 and they're still not here. <laughs> but God is fair. Hey, you're beautiful. <laughs> I mean, yeah, even with that, like learning how to love myself after all of those years being told I was ugly or not good enough is a challenge to this day. And it was a lesson I learned as a child that hate is learned at a very young age. Because I looked different, I was targeted and was told that I didn't belong. It's something I still have to work on to this day, constantly trying to please and prove to others that I am worthy and that I am enough. So do you remember when you first felt like you were different being Asian? So like in high school, so okay, so in high school, I switched from like one school to another school because my junior and senior, um, they just built a school that was, like, a little bit further north because our high school was, like, overpopulated. So then, like, my junior year, uh, we moved up, or, like, the school I went to was even a little bit more north. So it was even less diverse and mostly, like, white people. So I think I was, like, maybe one of three Asian people in my graduating class. It was, like, two two guys and then just me that I can remember anyways and like I just remember going to school and like these are people like because you want to be accepted and you want to be cool in high school so you just kind of push things aside and like think about it like reflect back on it as an adult like having these people call me like chink and like gook as like jokes Mm -hmm even though they're supposed to be like quote unquote like my friends and stuff and like just making these like Asian jokes now it kind of like when I reflect back on it it kind of makes me upset that I even accepted people talking to me like that like I could I remember making myself like trying to simulate a little bit more with white people and doing like doing more um white culture I guess I I don't know like how else to describe it yeah but then for like Chinese New Year and like Lunar New Year and stuff and like bringing our like having our food I was embarrassed to talk about those things with my friend or even talking about it yeah I used to be so embarrassed about that too and with the jokes it's so difficult to speak up when it's like I don't know five against one and all you want to do is just like get along with everyone and not stir the pot but you know like what's the cost? Why is it that we have to be the butt of the joke in order to fit in? I mean, my methods of trying to fit in were so absurd. Like, I remember in school, I used to bring Korean food, but it would look gross to white kids, so then I demanded to eat only sandwiches or chicken nuggets like every other kid. And I feel like most of us who grew up struggling with the duality of our identity have had this lunchbox story in some shape or form. I mean, it's even portrayed in media. I think Fresh Off the Boat had it in an episode. But you know, this all contributed to my late blooming love for Korean food. 
because I wanted so badly to just be American, I'd ask my parents if I could only eat McDonald's or pizza instead. And it's something I deeply regret because I love Korean food so much now and I just, I can't believe I missed out on it after all those years, you know? So I'm curious, do you still struggle with the duality of your identity as an adult? I definitely feel like I do struggle. Honestly, I felt like I struggled all the way my adulthood until I met Tommy when I was 24. Mm. And the thing is, like, it never really hit me that I really struggled with it until I was an adult because I remember him just asking me, why are you so ashamed to be Asian? Mm. Because, like, I want to do, like, anything Asian, like, Vietnamese-related, didn't want to do anything with our culture. And, like, I remember when he asked me that, that really hit me because it made me reevaluate because, like... Take your time. I never, like, wanted to wear, like, an yai because I thought it was embarrassing. I never wanted to cook our food because I thought it smelled bad. And, like, I didn't meet Tommy until I was 24, 23 or no 24 i'm 28 and i turned 29 next month so i really was embarrassed of my own culture until i was about 24 years old and i didn't even realize that i was until tommy asked me why am i so ashamed Mm. he came here when he was nine so he's like he came here from vietnam when he was nine so he's really immersed into like the means culture because he like grew up with it and then like with his mom she's like really traditional so like i didn't even realize that i was ashamed to why even was until i actually started dating him Mm, i totally get where you're coming from it was so difficult as a kid And I think because mental health is not really a popular topic of discussion within our culture, dealing with all this as a young adult on top of just trying to figure out life like every other person makes it feel more traumatic because we didn't really have an outlet or the resources. I, for one, definitely repressed a lot of things. I mean, that's why I walk around with a chip on my shoulder. But, you know, I am thankful that we have each other now and more and more people are having these kind of discussions. It really means a lot. And I thank you again for coming on the podcast. So did Tommy help bridge the gap between accepting your heritage and loving who you are? Yeah, definitely. For sure. Tommy definitely helped close that gap because the thing is, like, he made it more normal because then, like, when you have a partner, you start to learn about them and you kind of like start enjoying the same things that they like. Cause like he Buddhist, so like one of the things that he did with his temple was he lion danced every Lunar New Year. That was like one of the things he always did growing up. And even when I first met him, and like even when I was like dating him, he still did this lunar new year dance and like the line dance and stuff like that so that's when i kindly like slowly started accepting and also learning about my culture more too because his mom is very traditional so you know with like traditional asian moms like you have to greet them a certain way they like Mm -hmm. want you to act a certain way so the thing is like i never wanted to learn these things by myself but more so like once i actually grew up and like obviously I wanted his mom to like me (laughs) started making myself learn these things like the traditional way to greet people how to cook these things and that's when I kind of started 
being more comfortable with who I am. Yeah, and that acceptance is not something that just happens overnight. Obviously, it's it's something that you have to work on. Even me and him dating for over four years now, like, I am still learning. Like, I actually want to learn Vietnamese now. Like, before, it was like, I don't really care to learn. Yeah. But now I actually do want to learn how to speak Vietnamese better. Did you have a lot of Vietnamese American friends growing up, and did they have to assimilate as well? Um, with my Vietnamese friends, um, I feel for the most part, a lot of us were kind of whitewashed too. Yeah. But also, I remember whenever I was in high school, when I was or middle school or high school, I don't know, early high school, late middle school, I was talking to one of them, and I asked them, I was like, how do you deal with people always making fun of you for being Asian? And he was just like, you just have to stop caring. Mm -hmm. So, like, once he told me that, I was like, okay. Because before, I used to get so angry about it when people would make fun of me and, Mm -hmm. like, make it so normal, you know, to be racist towards Asian people, like, since I was exposed to it so much, it became normal for me that I just took his advice and I said, you know what, I don't care anymore because they're not going to change who they are and so I shouldn't just really care anymore. And I think that's where I started losing a piece. That's where I started to lose my Vietnamese identity. Mm. And I stopped caring. Yeah, I definitely became desensitized to it all too because it was happening all the time. And I knew after all those years, it was, and it still is, an uphill battle. It's like you said, it's become so normalized to be racist toward Asians. I think it's great that recent events have made millennials and Gen XYZ all a lot more aware about racial injustice. But it's like, how do we make people care about discrimination and racism toward Asians when other communities of color who have suffered greatly can barely sympathize with us? And you know what? I think our community has been sitting too comfortable being white adjacent. I mean, the whole model minority myth is completely fucked up. But let's not forget it was white people who decided that, and them doing that pinned us against other communities of color. It's like they created the rules, let it all play out, but then claimed that their hands are clean in the whole race war. And it sucks because I think there are some people who don't consider Asians people of color because we haven't suffered enough. I mean, it's the 19th century yellow peril, Asians carry diseases mentality, also Japanese internment camps, and the perpetual foreign label that is still put onto us to this day, for me. (laughs) I mean, I mentioned this earlier, but I will still hear people yell, go back to where you came from. And it's sentiments like that that perfectly describe how America is today. It genuinely upsets me to my core that it can be 2021, and I still feel like I have to work harder than ever to make sure I'm not being othered or viewed as a professional foreigner in this country. And you know, sometimes I feel like a lot of people wouldn't understand the depth of the trauma like you and me have experienced since we were kids. And not that it's a pissing contest, but yeah, I don't even think I really internalized the trauma until recently. You know, but it's been a long and difficult journey, and there are days where I feel like I'm screaming into a void and no one cares. Yeah. And I blame part of that on the way that Asians are portrayed, especially in Western media. We're always typecast or stereotyped as nerdy or not sexy, quiet, and submissive. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast so that I could talk to other people and share experiences that you may not hear every day. No, absolutely. I am really glad that you are doing this because like I know when you told me that you were doing it and then you asked me to be part of your podcast, I was really excited because I have always 
wanted to talk about it. I just don't ever really felt like anybody would really care. Yeah. Because, like, I feel like when it comes to anything Asian, I feel like the racism towards us is very normalized. Yeah. So I feel like people think it's okay to say these things to us because they think we're, like, defenseless or weak or will take whatever people say. So, like, I really am glad that you are doing this podcast and you asked me to kind of talk to you today because... I have always, like, internally struggled with this, and thankfully that, like, in college, I met you, because I met you through AAA, and the thing, too, is, like, at high school, whenever, okay, I didn't want to join AAA because I was embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I was embarrassed to be associated with so many Asian people, Mm -hmm. and I only did it because of Bree, so thankful for Bree, but... After being in AAA and being surrounded by so many different types of Asian people, it made me a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. But not nearly as comfortable as I am today, but it's a start. Yeah, it was a good stepping stone. And I admittedly had culture shock joining AAA because, again, I came from the South and I was very whitewashed. I didn't really know what it was like to hang out with a big group of Asian people or, you know, people who look like me. Yeah, I definitely agree because I I know I mentioned like my Asian friends, but I what I hung out with them when I was kids. So like the older you get, you start to learn like more of what you like and what your hobbies and stuff like that. And I always felt like I was just a little bit too different for Asian people for them to like the same things as me. Yeah. So Tony Triple A made me realize that like listen bitch or just like a bunch of the other asian people they just actually have way more common with you than you think Mm, for sure and with everything that's going on in the u.s right now and having this conversation it really just makes me wonder what happened to humanity like what happened to showing compassion and having empathy i guess what i'm trying to say is that it sucks that it had to take so long for us to get to a place where we feel proud of our own culture. I mean, it just like, it sucks that it, it took this long, you know? Yeah. Also, I'm just tired of people not putting respect on our name, you know? Like just assuming that Asians are gonna be meek or submissive. And I feel like growing up, I tried so hard to defy those stereotypes by purposely being more loud and more seen. I mean, people like you and me are pretty outspoken, but I hate it when people say, oh, you're loud for an Asian, or you're this or you're that for an Asian, which is something people say when they're obviously being racist without even knowing that they're being racist. Obvious to me, I should say. Yeah, it definitely is. Because they expect us to be, like, passive and, like, submissive, especially being Asian women. They expect to be, like, quiet and, like, shy. Mm -hmm. I think that's also why... I think it's that all that anger that built up into me from being teased so much in like high school that it's made me who I am. And I think that's why I don't bite my tongue anymore, just because I disliked myself, my my true self for so long because of it, that now that I'm becoming more comfortable with who I am, I just, I don't, I don't see the reason to just take it anymore. Yeah, I love that. And I respect that too, because It's obviously not an easy journey, especially with the environment we grew up in and the cards that we were dealt. But it's encouraging to see how far we've come, you know? For sure, for sure. Like, if you ask me 
back in high school, if I thought I would kind of be immersed into my own culture now as I, like, as I'm, I still don't even feel like I'm really that deeply immersed into my own culture, but I'm trying to be. If you asked me back in high school if I thought where I would be now, the answer is for sure not. And I really do feel like a lot of my growth has come from Tommy. Mm-hmm. Shout out be- to Tommy. <laughs> Shout out to Tommy. It's because like um, at his college, he was part of, or he was the president of VSA, so Vietnamese Student Association. So like that's where I started to learn some of like my own self-love because then I started hanging out with like some of his friends too yeah so definitely proud of where I grown into yeah and you know I feel that Gen Z has it so much better because it's cool to be different now and with the whole cancel culture too like if you're being racist or you say some not pc shit these kids are not afraid to speak out on behalf of others or for themselves now I mean, I am sad that we didn't get to experience that, but I am happy for future generations because of how woke everyone is becoming. For sure, because I definitely feel like today's generation, they are more open to learning about their cultures, like even like our traditional outfits. Like, okay, yeah, there's some people who will like steal our shit. But that's that it's like people are more willing to into it and like kind of exploring it is already huge for us even like our food because i remember in elementary school i brought like tit which is like that caramelized pork and like rice and a grass jelly drink to school like those black grass jelly drinks yeah that was the first and last time i ever brought vietnamese food to school ever again kids were like ew what is that what's that smell and then like it's because like people want to eat these things because they think it's so good yeah Before sushi became popular, I would eat seaweed with rice all the time, just like as a snack. And I remember this one time in like fourth grade, my mom made kimbap for me for breakfast before school, which is essentially just rice, vegetables um, wrapped in seaweed. But then later that day, I got really sick and I threw up everywhere. And it was in front of all these white people, but they were like, what the fuck? This girl's a monster. She just threw up a bunch of black shit everywhere. And it's like such a core memory in my brain because I can still remember the utter shock on everybody's faces. I mean, I was trying to explain to them that it was seaweed, but this is like the late 90s, early 2000s. And nobody knew what seaweed was, especially like in rural Georgia. <laughs> See, and that's like when you're young, that's so traumatizing for you because the thing is like you so much what other people think. Yeah, because we're so impressionable at that age, right? Yes. And, okay, also, too, it's really hard even being an adult sometimes because, like, I know sometimes I will be, like, bringing my Vietnamese food to work and, like, heating it up. And, like, these older people will be like, oh, my God, what's that smell? Like, who's microwaving this food in the break room? And I'm just like, business lady, okay? Mind your fucking business. (laughs) And then I'm like, that's mine. Hello. But it's just like, it's really funny. It's just because it's like these really old people are the only ones that ever say it. Mm. We've come far, but we still have a long way to go. Yes. For sure. Oh, I also wanted to tell you. So like talking about like our culture and like our clothing and stuff. I finally got my first Aoyai. Woo! And I only got it made because of my wedding. Yeah. 
but like that's the reason why I had one but like before that I never really ever wanted one mm. but now more because I wore it and I was like damn I look good. I remember growing up, I used to hate wearing hanboks because they were so poofy and I couldn't appreciate the beauty of it. But now I can't wait till I get married and have a full-blown photo shoot with it. I do want to say that I love that we both have come so far in our journey of self-love and embracing our heritage. I think that's the silver lining, right? Yes, for sure. Nui, thank you so much for talking with me today. I sincerely appreciate you and love you so much thanks for having me i love you too i didn't mean to cry actually okay i figured out because the last time i tried to talk about this i like cried but a lot of trauma man (laughs) that's okay i say this a lot to my friends there's power in vulnerability and i am so grateful to have a badass friend like you in my life i really appreciate you being so honest and so open and sharing your experiences with me of course man i try to keep it 100 (laughs) Thanks so much for tuning in and don't forget to send some love. Follow me at Asian Glow Podcast. Here's a gentle reminder to be kind to yourself and spread only positivity.